everyone, and welcome to another episode of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson with V-Auto. Today, I'm joined by Brian Finkelmeyer, who serves as Senior Director of New Car Solutions for V-Auto. Brian, thank you for taking time to join today's episode, and welcome to the program. Lance, it's always good to be on the V-Auto Podcast with you. Indeed, indeed. Well, Brian, let's start the conversation about by talking about some of the thought leadership that you've been sharing recently with dealers about new cars. I've seen an article or two, and you've made the point that the game in new vehicles has changed with the pandemic. And so um, what are some of the things that are different now, and why are they different? Yeah, Lance, it has been really fascinating um, as this pandemic has unfolded and so many of the things in the car business that we took to be the conventional wisdom has really been flipped on its head over the past six, eight months. And I'd say that one of the key things that we've seen in the new car business that's been flipped upside down is that for the longest time, new car dealers largely competed on price. And we talked about the race to the bottom Mm -hmm. and dealers key way of differentiating themselves in the new car business was just who is willing to go the lowest. But what we've seen through the course of this pandemic is something, nothing short of extraordinary, which is that new car grosses for the first time, at least in my career, have been really, really strong. New car dealers are making good money on on, on the sale of new cars. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily is inventory for the first time has become really, really tight. And so uh, you know, in the recent article I wrote, I said it's no longer a race to the bottom. It's a race for the inventory. And dealers with the larger inventories are the ones that are able to win in the current marketplace. How? What is the di- difference in terms of inventory levels today in new cars versus maybe this time a year ago or pre-pandemic in early 2020? Yeah, it's a good question, Lance. So if we go back and look to February of 2020, the industry was sitting on about 37 million new cars scattered across lots across America. And if you look to the beginning of September of 2020, that number had dropped to about 2.2 million. So we were down at almost a million and a half cars from pre-pandemic levels. Mm-hmm. And then that was also expressed in the day supply where we saw that that new car day supply, which does tend to run a little higher in February, was up over 100. And I believe at the beginning of September, we started the month at about 52. So the day supply has become much, much tighter. Uh, and, and in some cases, you know, certain brands are seeing well below 52. Um, but it, across the industry to have an overall market day supply of 52, I don't think I've ever seen that as long as I've been in the business. I think I saw where even at the start of October, it might have touched into the low 40s even too. Uh, it's a little bit of a moving target though. Now, you know, so good point. It's a race for inventory, but I've sort of understood that there's two kinds of inventory. There's the right inventory, and then there's the other stuff. Um, and what can dealers do to get more of the right inventory in this environment where there seems to be less inventory overall? Yeah, so Lance, you know, there was a study done earlier this year which called out just the enormous amount of model complexity across these car companies. And so you know, just sometimes a, a simple sedan might have 150, 200,000 different unique combinations. When you consider the interior color, the exterior, the options, the packages, um, there's just so much complexity involved in these new cars. And what the study showed was that about 12% of all combinations represent 75% of total sales. 
So it's it's almost the 80-20 rule, but even more extreme. Hmm. And so I think as we look at our inventory from a new car dealer perspective today, it's so critically important that we have a, a clear understanding of what that 12% of our inventory is that's really generating the bulk of our sales. And then I think there's also a profitability uh, consideration to be made. And when we think about a brand like Jeep, for example, the Jeep Wrangler brings with it probably the biggest grosses of any model in their lineup. Mm-hmm. And, and that vehicle has been very hot. And so I would say as if I was a dealer, I'd want to make darn sure that I understood those three to four combinations, which in the case of Jeep would be include the Wrangler and the Cherokee, uh, and make sure that I'm really laser focused on my turn and earn abilities on those core models, because that's what's really feeding both my profit and sales engine. Um, not to say that we shouldn't pay attention to the other uh, the other models in the lineup, but I would just say to pay particular attention to those core models that are having such a, a dramatic impact on my overall performance. Isn't it also true, though, Brian, that the other models, let's you know, call it the uh, the eighty percent, um, are are really cars that can hurt a dealer if if they're not paying attention to them as well. Yeah, so I think within each model, Lance, this is where, you know, the, 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 the car manufacturers really are like blackjack dealers at the beginning of each month. And they've got a certain number of cards in the deck. And those cards are being dealt out on a model by model basis. So they say, okay, we've got 100 cards in our deck for Jeep Wranglers, and I'm going to allocate out 100 cards. And those cards are being allocated to the dealers with the lowest dealer day supply. Mm-hmm. And so this is why it's so critically important on those core models, like in this example, I keep using a Wrangler, that I pay super close attention to any aged inventory or any what we would call distressed inventory, which are those specific combinations that have a high market day supply that are turning slower, that I need to take action on those cars very quickly because that aged inventory that's bogging down my ability to turn is, is really, uh, it, you know, increasing my overall day supply. And the way that you win in this new race for the inventory that I talked about is maintaining the fastest turn and earn of any of the dealers in your region. And so, you know, it's just so critically important under the current environment that dealers become laser focused on both the aging situation within those core models, as well as the distressed inventories. They can be proactive in managing that to maintain a really efficient turn and earn um, so that they can maximize their monthly allocation from their their manufacturer. That's a good point. Let me unpack that just a little bit, Brian. So for the the cars that are the core things that are sort of the natural turn and earners, I, I suppose a dealer could, in fact, count on retail demand to help those move away. Um, whereas on the other side, with the, the stuff that runs the chance of being distressed or aged, it, it as you noted, it, it's a, it requires more of a proactive approach. And I guess I'm asking, what would be an example or two of the proactive approaches that you found uh, dealers to deploy and find success with? Yeah. So Lance, you know, when we think about the different levers that we have at our uh, disposal for managing problematic inventory. I think there's really three, maybe four key levers that we can think about. The first and most obvious one is price. And Mm -hmm. one of the challenges within the price lever is that many manufacturers restrict our ability 
and how we can apprise. So that causes us to have to be creative and do things like uh, reveal pricing on our website or perhaps targeting incentives uh, where we discount vehicles very aggressively and blast email those out to our consum- to our customer database or do things that are, are more targeted. Uh, another uh, best practice I've seen dealers do is um, when anybody contacts the BDC, we use those distressed or aged units as really our loss leaders to try to really create engagement with that customer that's reaching out. So I'd say there's a number of things that we can do within that price bucket. Then I think the second uh, bucket of opportunity really is around promotion. And what are we doing from a digital promotion standpoint, or as I mentioned, perhaps even something as simple as a blast email. Uh, one of the dealers that we work with at the auto um, regularly uses aged and distressed inventory in email campaigns. And so that's another tactic that from the promotion lever. And then I think the, the final two pieces are obviously the importance of dealer trade, which mm-hmm. is one of the, probably the single biggest overlooked opportunities in managing new cars. Uh, I don't think that the average dealer fully recognizes the extent to which that can impact the health of their inventory. When you consider that anywhere from 25 to as much as 40% of retail sales in America require a dealer trade, this is a, a everyday activity that doesn't always get the time that it deserves. And so I think that's another uh, area of opportunity for dealers to think about how they can unpack and get away from those cars that are bogging down their ability to turn and earn. Mm -hmm. And then the very last piece that I would say to this is the critical importance of spending time with that monthly order. And, and, you know, Lance, I think back to my days as being a factory rep, I can't tell you the number of times at 4.30, I was calling dealers saying, hey, the the allocation closes at five o'clock. And I see that you have not yet gone in and worked your order. And as I sort of reflect on that, I, I do think that the average dealer that's maybe ordering a million to $2 million of new inventory every month, you'd like to think that we're spending more than 30 minutes on that activity to make darn sure that we're stocking the right, the right units. That's a good point. And it's that, and that perhaps maybe that's the first rung is to go climb as high up the food chain as you can and, and, re, and do what you can to diminish the, the potential of ordering cars that will end up as distressed inventory. I think that's right, Lance. And I think there's really two key points there, one of which is sometimes it is the case that dealers don't have uh, full authority over what got sent, and Mm -hmm. manufacturers from time to time do send things that are perhaps not what we would have chosen. So I think in that scenario, it's so important that we understand that on day one and, as we said, take proactive action against that those problematic cars. But then I think your point is the really important one, which is how can we manage that from the get-go and try to make sure that we are um, stocking our shelves with the fast-moving inventory that's going to turn and and keep the engine humming. Now, Brian, in in uh, one of the pieces that you wrote, um, there was a reference to a a term, dead stock. And I guess uh, we talked a little bit about uh, distressed and aged inventory and I, and I guess for the sake of our listeners and even my own edification, is there a difference between dead stock and, and distressed slashed aged inventory? Yeah, that's a good question, Lance. And there is some nuance to that. So oftentimes we do just tend to think of our dead stock as being our oldest dogs yeah. that are parked out behind the parts department. But the reality is, is that dead stock um, doesn't bring with it necessarily an age. We could have 
a truckload of dead stock that got dropped off yesterday morning. We just didn't realize it. And what I mean by that is to say that at the auto, what we do is analyze those specific combinations that have uh, what we would say extraordinarily high day supply mm-hmm. uh, to say that they're slow moving inventory. And, and then we look at that against what sales activity is happening in the marketplace. So just a simple example, I was actually looking at a Toyota dealer recently in the Philadelphia market mm-hmm. that had uh, the marketplace had 45 of this particular combination of Forerunner. This dealer had nine of those. And the market had not sold a single one of those units in the past 60 days. Um, mm. That is the core definition of dead stock is to say, I've got inventory that's not moving for me or the market. Um, and I need to, to do something other than sit back and hope that some customer is going to magically appear and resolve this issue for me. So I think that's really at, at, at the heart of what we've really been working with our dealers on is to, to have more of that proactive mindset and attacking that particular combination of forerunner on day one versus waiting for day 300. And, and just to strike a finer note there, Brian, so the, the dead stock might be defined as cars that have, say, a high day supply and low retail demand. That's kind of the, I guess, sign of death, maybe. Exactly. And, Lance, and within that, some of those dead stock units might be 300 days old, but some of them might be two days old. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key point is understanding uh, that this is likely to be a problematic piece of inventory for me. And I'm better off taking action on that day one than day 300. And, you know, one of the points to that, Lance, is that once again, as I said, how the pandemic has really turned so much of conventional wisdom upside down. Before the pandemic, one of the things that we talked to dealers about was the rising cost of, of holding inventory. Right. Yep. Well, now that's completely gone out the window as interest rates have practically fallen to almost zero. So there really is not as much a financial burden to holding on to inventory longer than you might want to. It doesn't really hurt that bad at the end of the month from a floor plan perspective, but it is absolutely hurting every month when the factory gets ready to allocate out the hot moving cars for next month. And so I think that's one of the other game changes of this pandemic is um, the pain is not so much on the, the floor plan cost. The pain is it's restricting my ability to earn more of the, the, the volume cars that bring with them some gross opportunity that I can make money on. You know, that reminds me of a corollary from a conversation with a dealer a couple days ago about used cars. And in, in that dealer's case, you know, he had previously thought, yeah, that extra day or two that it might take me to get my cars reconditioned, you know, you look at the holding cost, maybe it's 30 bucks a day, 40 bucks a day, whatever the case, that's not that big a deal. But when he looked at it closer, he realized that that extra day or two actually cost him deals because that car um, wasn't available for sale or might have been a trade opportunity and he and, and his uh, appraisers and others weren't quite willing to step up. So kind of like if you slow down in one spot of the process, it affects others. Exactly. Exactly. Now, one one final question, Brian. You know, I, I think we can all agree that as the pandemic has kind of um, been with us over the, fa- the past few months that we're all learning um, how to do things differently. And as you noted, conventional wisdom sometimes gets uh, flipped on its head. And I guess I'm curious, um, 
we've all sort of come to understand, as you mentioned earlier, that factories tend to produce, you know, an 80-20 mix of cars, so to speak. Um, and more broadly, even they overproduce, you know, that there's more new car inventory than customers in some cases, which puts the pinch on dealers to manage that additional inventory that they arguably may not need. We are now in a situation here in the last quarter of 2020 where supply is less than demand in, in new cars. And I guess I'm wondering, is that a condition as we look ahead to the end of the year and into 2021 that things might be a little bit more normal and, and we won't see the oversupply that we've become accustomed to seeing? What's your thought there? Yeah, Lance, I think that is a really interesting topic you bring up, and I have looked into this a little bit. And I, I would first say to our listeners, which is just really, a, a, once again, a remarkable uh, consequence of this scenario that we're all living through, is that I don't believe I've ever seen a scenario where retail is actually outpacing wholesale. So I don't think that anybody back in March or April would have forecast that the new car volume in you know August September October timeframe would be off five to seven percent from a year ago. I don't think anybody in their right mind would have thought that retail would have remained so strong mm -hmm. as we've kind of worked through this health and economic crisis. And so I went back and looked in February at what our daily average wholesale shipments were of new vehicles out to dealers, and then compared that to what we saw in the August and September timeframe. And really what's happened is the market has gotten back to about 80, 83% of our typical daily wholesale activity. Mm -hmm. But, but if you look on the retail side of things, we're only off five to 7%. And so under that math, the inventories just keep getting tighter and tighter. And to the point that you made, you know, we're just not used to operating in a situation where demand actually exceeds supply uh, in new cars. We, uh, this is just something we've never seen before. So your question is, is, you know, what does this look like moving forward? And I think that's a really complicated question because there's so many moving parts to that. And so let's just talk about a couple of those parts, mm -hmm. one of which is we're on the heels of an election coming up and what that might mean in terms of stimulus for the economy, um, and, you know, in the fourth quarter and the beginning of next year, I think that that could have a real bearing on demand. I, I think there's also a lot of questions out there about what's going to happen with unemployment and small businesses that are struggling and, and just the overall economic situation in this country and how that correlates to new car shopping activity. Um, you know, part of, quite frankly, part of the boom that we saw over the summer months was due in part to the fact that the car business basically shut down for two months. And yeah, in March and true. April and part of May, we really didn't sell any cars. So there was really this delayed activity that has really kind of propped up um, the car sales. So as we think about the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year, what, you know, once we kind of get back into more of a natural demand situation, what does that look like? So um, I, I would say, Lance, that I, I, I don't see that the car companies necessarily are going to be moving back to the extreme mm -hmm. measures that they had in the past where we are overproducing as, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, it is my impression that many car companies are realizing that maybe this is a better situation, not just for them, where their margins are going up because we're actually seeing a reduction in incentives in, in some cases. 
Um, so the car companies are improving their margins. They're in many respects running their businesses more efficiently and car dealers are making more money. And I think that there's a lot of observers saying, does it really make sense? We go back to the old days where we're producing a hundred cars every month when there's only 80 shoppers looking. So I, I think there's just a lot of questions that will be interesting to see how this all plays out, but the economy, um, shopping demand and, and how the manufacturers decide to play the game moving forward. I think all of those questions remain to be seen how that's going to unfold. But I think it also uh, begs the point that no matter what happens, the right car will always be the star. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, Lance. And I think that those uh, smart dealers that are out there today paying particularly closer attention to the new car inventory than they ever had before are cashing bigger checks at the end of the month. There's no doubt about that. Well, very good. Brian, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We appreciate you sharing your perspective. Thanks again for being here. Lance, thanks for having me on. You bet. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining this episode of the V-Auto Podcast. Until next time, stay well. <music>